You are listening to the most comprehensive source for news and views about today's unions. This is LaborUnionNews.com's Labor Relations Radio and your host, Peter List. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Hey, thanks for turning on and tuning in to Labor Relations Radio. So being one that is a bit long in the tooth, as they say, I have been marveling at a lot of the media about the Gen Z workforce and their demands in the workplace. And recently there was a conference that was held that I did not attend, wherein my guests Nick Calm and Haley Hartman from Reputation Partners gave a presentation about the Gen Z workforce. And not being able to attend the conference, I wanted to uh, talk in depth with them. And so Earlier this afternoon, we had a lengthy conversation, and I might title this episode Two Boomers and a Gen Zer Walk Onto a Podcast. In any case, here's Nick Calm and Haley Hartman for Reputation Partners. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. Well, Nick Calm, Haley Hartman, both from Reputation Partners, welcome to Labor Relations Radio. And Nick, I just had you, you were my last guest on while I was traveling last week. And I rarely do this where I have back to back same guest, but you guys, you've, you two did a, a um, presentation at a conference on Gen Z, and I was not able to attend the conference, um, but I wanted to touch on that. So, how are you both doing today? How's the weather in the upper Midwest? It's okay today. The sun is sort of out. Yeah, it looks like it's out, and it's actually supposed to be in the mid-40s, at least here in Chicago. And Haley's about 70, 80 miles north of me up in uh, Milwaukee. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. not, not too bad here yet. It was snowing a little bit the past couple of days, but nothing sticks, so can't complain right now. Ask me again in December, January, and it will be a completely different question. Right. Answer. Right. <laughs> I have been in Milwaukee in the middle of wintertime, and it's not fun. Yep. <laughs> Um, so the two of you did a presentation on Gen Z and Haley, you are a Gen Zer, but you're I, not the stereotype. That's what I like to say. I was born in 1998, so I'm 24 years old and, and the start of Gen Zers it is, um, anyone born in 97 through, I think 2012, I'm pretty sure. So I definitely am in that, but Again, I, I don't necessarily self-identify. Some things, yes. Some things, other, which we can get into in a little bit later. But yes, I am a Gen Z. <laughs> so, so there is there is a stereotype out there that um, I find it kind of fascinating. I think we lump different generations. Like Nick and I are considered the boomers, I guess. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. So we get the, okay, boomer. Right? Exactly. (laughs) So, um, what is, what are some of the, I guess, stereotypes of Gen Zers and, um, and how are you not a stereotype of Gen Z, Haley? Yeah. So I think, and Nick and I talked about this during our presentation. It was, we had a bunch of words come up on the screen of, um, how people today would describe Gen Zs. And a lot of time, I, I feel like it's a lot of negative connotations. So it's lazy, it's disruptive, it's um, young, really um, 
thinking that that they deserve a lot more instead of like working for it, I think is the big thing. People, you know, they just think that they they should be handed some things. And that's where, you know, of course, each individual is different. Um, but I feel like I don't really self-identify with that as much. And and to a big a big component of of the Gen Z um, population is very dependent on technology. We grew up with technology, having smartphones. Although I will say, I did not have a phone while growing up until I was like in eighth grade. I was not, you know, there was no iPad in front of me while I was a little kid entertaining me. I went outside to play. So that is a little bit different than I think, you know, some people uh, categorize us as, but generally it's the, I can't put down my phone. I can only, you know, Gen Z's have an attention span. I think it's about eight seconds. So really engaging them within the first couple seconds of you talking to them or else they kind of just zone out. So those are just some um, characteristics I would use to describe Gen Z and how I feel like a lot of people would today. So there's, there's a lot of um, angst, I guess, again, with the boomer generation in managing and motivating Gen Zers. And so I think part of this is my observations. I don't know if they're accurate or not, but it appears as though the Gen Z generation is um, more collectivist minded. Not to, not to get into politics of collectivism, you know, socialism, et cetera, but more of the, the group think like everybody's um, we're going to get on the bandwagon of this or that, or cause oriented, if you will, is that somewhat accurate? Oh, for sure. And I think we see it a lot with, with climate change, with sustainability, CSR, we've seen it with diversity and social justice issues we've seen. Um, And Gen Z has really been leading the front in a lot of those movements. So I think that they no longer want to keep personal and professional um, separate, but it's all lumped into one now. What they want in their personal life and their true beliefs, they're bringing on to expect that in in their own workplace. So um, if I'm a manager, how do Uh I cope with that? Because I I just want to get the job done. I just want the widgets made. Mm -hmm. And now I've got people in coming into my widget factory and protesting and getting microaggressed. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think it's a lot of, you know, with managing anyone, it's really seeing eye to eye with them and, and really trying to best understand what they need to succeed. So for Gen Z specifically, it's like, okay, they demand, you know, mental health benefits. They demand, companies who are a little bit more sustainable and promote DEI and everything like that. So it's, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, Gen Z is now the population that is, I think, going to grow to be 30% by 2030. So managers really can't ignore the fact that most of their workplace will probably likely be Gen Z in the years to come. And so it's really adjusting and being flexible with with their new, new employees. So, um, is there a different way to manage Gen Z? Like it, so if we sit down every morning, have our coffee, talk about the day's widget making ahead of us, is that, do we have to do little group meetings or 
How do, how do we manage that stuff? Well, I don't want to pass it on to Nick, but I think he's done a really great <laughs> job of trying to um, kind of mesh all the generations um, and and really manage best like to to their own individual styles right and i don't think it's necessarily like you have to overthink about oh my gosh like let me just baby this gen z who really wants this it's of course treating everyone like a whole but at the same time you can't ignore the fact that you know to stay and to to retain you know your gen z workers you're gonna have to try to make them feel a little bit more um like included at work, whether it's, you know, having social events or um, team bonding activities, things like that, or even like weekly happy hours that's still going on at work. Um, I think it's prioritizing well-being at work too. Like a, a lot of times Gen Z wants to set boundaries at work, right? And it, I'm not saying like, oh, I can't do this thing because it just stresses me out too much. That's not what I'm saying at all. I think it's really the work boundaries that I'm seeing for myself and for other Gen Zers, it's really like 5 p.m., 6 p.m. hits the end of the workday, and a couple emails come in that aren't urgent, that can wait until the next day. And so I'm just not going to respond to those because I have my life outside of work that I want to prioritize. That's friendships, that's family, that's significant others, that's activities and hobbies that you enjoy to do outside of, of your day-to-day -day work. That's kind of an important issue because I don't think um, a lot of people in the, I'm just going to say the management class, so to speak, um, managers, company heads, et cetera, that that whole work-life balance thing that you're talking about, mm -hmm. we grew up, and I don't mean just us, but like the other generations, you work all night, you get the you know, project done, you don't shut off until it's done, Right. Right, right. And well, I think, I just... yeah, Gen Z, Gen Z is really trying to reject some of those workplace once we're norms and, and that previous generations were almost like forced to accept, I feel like, where now it's, now they're, they're really trying to set those boundaries or, or, and prioritize what's, what's most important to them and not have work be their whole entire life. It's the uh, they don't live to work, but work to live mindset. So let me ask you this. Is this kind of been um, top of mind with all the economic stuff coming out? So a lot of this seems to have come to a head post-pandemic as the workforce was restarting, you know, as the businesses started opening up again. Seems to have hit the headlines, the great resignation, quiet quitting. Mm -hmm. Now it's quick quitting. I heard or saw something on that yesterday. Um as in if the economy tumbles and it's almost like there's a collision that's heading towards, you know, impact with you got an economy that's cooling, jobs are not going to be as plentiful, and you may wind up going into the cycle where companies are looking for the hardest workers who are willing to put in the extra amount of work, et cetera. Is that, do you see that coming and what happens when that happens? Hmm. That's a really great question. I think, um, you know, sure it's, it's working hard and it's, um, 
it's really prioritizing your employees who who show that work and that dedication too. And I think that, you know, at some point, whether it is Gen Z or, or others who other generations taking part in this quiet quitting and, and this shift in, in the workplace um, standards now, I think they'll really have to reevaluate, you know, are they going to have a job or are they not? I think that's really what it comes down to, right? Is right. Or quiet quitting or, you know, now or it was before and, and even months previous, it was the employee market. We could really pick and choose whatever job we wanted. We could demand, you know, X amount for our salary. And most companies would, would give you that because they were so desperate. Well, now we're likely seeing that the riffs and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, maybe um, expectations of employees are going to, change and go back, I think a little bit. So the work-life balance issue, did you, um, you would have been late teens, early twenties at the start of the pandemic, right? So did you, did you get that sense pre-pandemic or is this more of a post-pandemic issue? Oh, I got that a little bit pre-pandemic. So, um, it was, so obviously March, 2020 pandemic, I was a senior, um, at Marquette university in Milwaukee. And so all of a sudden college classes, no more. And it was interesting because I started reputation partners. Uh, when I graduated, I, I use air quotes because we didn't have a graduation or anything like that. But, um, I interviewed for a position at reputation partners about a week prior to the pandemic. So I was really excited. I got the call that I was, you know, uh, I got the job offer, um, and then pandemic hits, right? And, you know, you see everyone, you can't find any jobs. Those who graduated are not finding any jobs in their field. Um, and so I was really nervous for a little bit. Um, but luckily, business was good with reputation partners. And so I was able to come on board. But it definitely was that feeling of, okay, so if this doesn't work, what's my backup plan? What am I going to do? Am I going to sit and be like, and, and wait, you know, until a great job in at a PR agency or in-house doing PR, or am I going to adjust a little bit? Like a lot of my friends did where it's, you wait tables at restaurants for a little bit. Right. You, you know, do odd jobs until things pop up that you're really interested in. And that's just how it works. So it's some of this, um, Gen Z air fingers quote attitude is kind of post pandemic coming out when the economy started heating up. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I would, at least that's when I noticed it really. Mm -hmm. So, so Nick, are you, um, as a business owner, yeah. are you seeing shifts back to quote normal or meaning the work-life balance thing. And well, no, I mean, I think, first of all, this is a world record for me of being quiet. So you all, have, <laughs> it's, a, it's a historic occasion. That's true. <laughs> it's like, but no, I mean, Haley was knocking it out of the park. I didn't feel the need to say anything there. So um, I think, you know, this whole like work-life balance thing, I think Haley hit the nail on the head there. I mean, it's again, when you have a workforce that includes everybody from, I guess they would be older millennials down to Gen Z, which is what I do. You know, you, and it helps, you know, in a, in a smaller business like mine, 
you can really be very individualized with giving each person, meeting them with what they want and need and matching that with what the business is able to do. You know, you just take, take people's individual life circumstances. I mean, I've got employees who have multiple kids. I've got employees who are caregiving for older parents. I've got, you know, all of that stuff. And it's just a matter of just trying to be flexible. I think flexibility is the key. And I think, you know, you were talking, Peter, about what the new normal is. I think the new normal for managers, even at, you know, bigger widget companies, to your point, is flexibility. It's again, it's not one size fits all. Different generations come to the workplace with different expectations, different family circumstances, and even within those cohorts, as you've heard from talking to uh, Haley here, I mean, Haley is not your prototypical Gen Z, but so it's like, what does she want and need? What's important to her? You know, the flexibility, the work-life balance. Yeah, some of those things are common with other Gen Z folks, but it is meeting employees where they are and being flexible about it. So one of the one of the questions, and you kind of raise this as an individualist perspective, um, is if you've got a let's say fifty to one hundred and fifty size company, person company, mm-hmm. it's difficult to do without showing disparate treatment, right? So you know if so and so you know needs flexible hours to, and you've got FMLA and all the other type of protections yep. out there, but. You also have to work to get your product out. Sure. Right? So there's like, I, I guess some people are struggling with, and I'm kind of trying to wrap my head around to answer, asking the question the right way. How do you provide flexibility without being, without showing disparate treatment and yeah. still get your widgets out the door? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think if you're, you look at your workforce and again, it's, you know, you don't want to generalize too much, but it's foolish not to look at demographic trends and characteristics. I mean, big part of the presentation that Haley and I made that you were referring to is looking at common themes. Again, there's exceptions to every rule, but if your workforce is dominated by Gen Z, and as Haley mentioned earlier, you know, the demographics are saying that within eight years, it's going to be 30% of the workforce you have to make sure that you're then building in staffing and hiring and shifts and everything else to expect that people are going to need to take or want to take mental health days. People are going to have the the desire to basically say, no, I'm not going to do overtime. So how do you deal with that? You, it's a little bit, I mean, I think, you know, it's maybe not the best analogy, but it works at least on one level is how do airlines sell seats on their flights? They deliberately overbook because they know people are not going to be flying on their flights, and then they realize they're going to have to compensate people if everybody shows up. I think a lot of companies in that 50 to 150 and bigger size are going to have to start doing some of that. You hire more people. Maybe you have a a worker pool that is compensated at a lower rate just to be on standby. But some of that, I think, is going to be part of it. Yes, a counteracting force is the recession that's here or coming and the layoffs and slowdowns and so forth. But, you know, if there is another recession or if we're in one now, we're not going to be in it for the long term. And what is going to be in the long term is more and more of this cohort is going to be a bigger part of the population. And you just need to plan for it, you know, and you need to plan for what that generation is likely to want to do and do in terms of setting boundaries and needing and wanting mental health days and just not wanting to sit there and be in a situation where they're giving up what they see as the important personal time. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, Haley, what do you think of what I just said? I'm just, I'm curious what Haley thinks of what I just said. No, I I think that's, that's very accurate. Everything, I don't really have anything to add to that, but I think that all is very true. Well, and this seems to be the struggle I see in the print media with regard to, you know, whether it's HR blogs or, um, you know, writers writing about how do you manage a Gen Z workforce? And, you know, and then I kind of give that counter of, okay, how do you do it without creating other issues? And, well, and some of that has been there forever. I mean, think about it, Peter. I mean, this is something that goes back. I mean, you and I have been working for quite a while. I mean, you would sit there and you would see the uh, childless employee versus the employee with children, right? That's right. been as long as I've been working. And even before, you know, my son was born, it's like you would sit there and you'd see the parents who would go, oh, I have to leave early because my the school just called. My kid was in an accident. And, you know, that's not something if you're just in a relationship and you don't have children, that's not something you're ever going to have to deal with, right? right? So there there was already some of that disparate treatment, if you will, in the workplace and, you know, more flexibility perhaps for the uh, parents versus the non-parents in the workplace. So this has been around. I mean, you know, again, you go way, way back. It didn't matter whether you had kids or didn't have kids, you know, the, the you know, the the man in the gray flannel suit, the 1950s or even into the 1960s, that wasn't a factor. But ever since then, it's been more of a factor. So having to treat different employees because of their life circumstances, personal circumstances differently, I mean, that's that's really been around for quite some time. And yes, it does create um, perceived inequities and perceived unfair treatment, if you will, even just from a benefit standpoint. Think about that with so many of your listeners being in the HR space. I mean, if you have children, a, you are, or a spouse, you're able to avail yourself much more of the goodies, if you will, that a company offers from a benefit standpoint than if you're a single. So there's that's, disparate treatment built into that too, right? Yep, you get more true. goodies if you're married with children than if you're a single. So I think it's always been there. I think it's just more pronounced now because I think there's a lot more distinctive characteristics of Gen Z putting up these boundaries and these expectations. And, and part of it, you know, I don't blame them. I mean, you think about it. And I know, Peter, you've known a lot of people in this circumstance as well, people who are our age or even 10 or 15 years younger. I mean, they would sit there and they would work hard for this organization for years and years, 5, 10, 15 years. And then, you know, there's a layoff. They might survive one round of layoffs or two rounds of layoffs, but company isn't going to think twice about cutting them out, especially if they're a more expensive, older employee. You know, that's an easy way to cut costs. And if you can cut, you know, a $125,000 manager and replace them with two, you know, $50,000 junior employees, you're ahead of the game, and the perception is that you're getting a more motivated workforce. So that's been happening for quite some time. And the Gen Zs that we're talking to, uh, Haley and millions of others, have seen that with their parents and with their older relatives. And they're saying, I don't, you know, I'm not going to subject myself to that. If that's something that I might be, you know, on the receiving end of, I'm going to put up my boundaries now and I'm going to do what I want and not do what I don't want. Well, so that kind of poses a question. Um, it used to be, Nick, as we were growing up, the, quote, social contract that companies had with their employees, lifetime employment, retirement, you know, and then you're in, the, you're in with a company 20, 30 years, as you just mentioned. Now, I think the average is about two, two and a half years. 
So what does that social contract look like today? Yeah, I think it's part of, again, and this is where, you know, employers can really meet Gen Z folks and even millennials as well. They want experience. They want training. They want opportunity. That Yes, they want recognition. They want flexibility. You know, and again, it's even been a mindset change that I've had to go through, and I'm still going through it, even at this late stage of the game, is, you know, I would hire people and I would say, I really expect you're going to be with me forever. And that'd be my kind of my aspiration and my goal. But realistically, the realistic part of me goes, I know they're not going to be with me forever. If I can get four, five, six, seven, eight years out of somebody, that's great. So it's a different mindset from an employer standpoint, and it's a different mindset from an employee standpoint. What skills can I get? What opportunities can I get? What recognition can I get? What training can I get? What professional development? All of that, if they can get that as an employee, and they can still at the same time, the employer can get quite a bit out of them without the expectation that they're going to be working for you forever. It is kind of a win-win, but it's a mindset change, certainly from an employer standpoint, from what it was years ago, as you just described. Haley, not to, not to put you on the spot and speak for the whole generation, but what, what does the social contract that an employer provides or has with employees like for Gen Z, what does that social contract look like? So I think, A lot of it has to do with some of the elements that Nick just discussed. It's the professional development opportunities. I want to be able to attend trainings or have a mentorship opportunity at work to really advance my skills because that just, to to anyone, that just makes you feel valued. That means that they want to invest in you and they want you there for the long run. Um, I think also, too, there's that some element of that uh, feeling of your well-being taken care of too. It's the mental health resources, or not only that, it's the social well-being, the get-togethers, like I talked about earlier, the the weekly happy hours if you can make that work. Um, I think too, encouraging the use of PTO is also a really great thing that employers could do. Um, you know, instead of bringing up, hey, you know, can I take this day off, or I got this going on. It's more of a, if you don't have anything going on pressing at work, then absolutely. Um, those mental health days too have something to do with it. Um, and also I think too, it's the DE&I trainings. I think that is here to stay. I think DE&I initiatives or uh, promoting diversity and inclusion at work is, is a huge thing. And I think it's a great asset for companies to have, whether that's trainings on how to work with people amongst all different cultures and races, if it's um, other things like that, even a, a standard handbook or something like that. Um, I think that's all, all really um, important to Gen Z's. Let me let me ask you something, and Nick is aware of this article because I sent it to him and and a couple other folks um, over the weekend. And I don't know if if you're prepared to talk about this aspect, but you mentioned mental health two or three uh-huh. times. Um, there's an article that was based on a study, and it was within the last couple of weeks it was published. But the forty two percent of Gen Z workers have. Um, mental conditions, mm-hmm. which, which was, I, I think it was a self-identified mental, you know, I go see a counselor, I do this or I do that. It was like 20% sure. had PTSD 
I'm just making the numbers up, so I don't have the article in front of me. Yeah, yeah. But I, I found that number to be quite large, number one. Number two, I'm curious as to, and I started seeing this a couple years ago in, in a company in the upper Midwest was working with, and one of the employees kept demanding mental health benefits. And mm-hmm. I was curious as to, okay, that's different for folks of our generation. Like, what is this whole thing about mental health? And then I see the study, 42% identify or have mental health conditions. Like, what's going on? It's, I, you know, in our generation, again, dating ourselves, Nick, but in our generation is like, you don't deal with that sort of stuff and you certainly don't demand it of the employer. Right, right. And, yeah, and I, I don't know if it's a social contagion, too much Facebook, not even Facebook, TikTok or something else. Snap, um, Snapchat. Yeah, Snapchat. I'm still trying to figure that one out, let alone TikTok. But, um, you know, it's like our, so PTSD usually would associate with people coming, returning from war. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, generally mental health, mental health days, for example, like I'm not, I'm still trying to get my head around all that. Yeah. So I, I can speak, you know, personally and, and amongst like the, the peers that I know who are, who are Gen Z, but I I think a lot of it has to do with, to your point, like the use of technology and the use of social media platforms, I think does play a huge, huge part in that. I mean, if you're thinking about people scrolling for hours and hours on Instagram, let's just say, and you're constantly seeing, you know, other friend groups hanging out, you have, um, people in that you're comparing yourself to, oh my gosh, why don't I look like that? They're so pretty. You have, oh, are my friends like hanging out without me? I know that sounds a little bit silly, but it truly, like, if this is part of your everyday life and you're constantly, you know, absorbing all this information and all this, um, you know, these photos and these captions and and you see things that you should be doing, but you aren't doing or stages of life that people are in. People are getting engaged now and married and where you're at, maybe you're just single and, 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 you know, working on yourself and, and really growing into, into who you're being professionally and personally. So I think a comparison has a lot to do with that. Unfortunately, Um, I do think too, it's, the amount of, um, the people are facing student debt. I think that's a huge thing too, that people are stressed. Like these are significant factors that people are stressed and have to worry about. It's, it's debt. It could be unemployment. It could be, um, post pandemic. I mean, we spent two years, nearly two years of sitting at home or not doing a whole lot and isolating ourselves. So that leads to feelings of loneliness and depression and anxiety. So I think all those things have, have a big impact on, on everybody, but I think specifically and who the demographic we're talking about right now, Gen Zers. Yeah. Well, I've seen a bunch of stuff about the um, effects of the lockdowns during the pandemic and having, you know, whether it's school, kids test scores, drug mm-hmm. use is up, suicides up, et cetera. So that obviously would have some 
maybe major factors in it, at least some, mm-hmm. some factor to it. But it's, it's curious because I would, um, just kind of seeing more of this and that, that article I saw and based on the study was just kind of surprising with the 42%. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot. And I think too, with the point of, you know, having mental health days at work that you can take or the available resources. I mean, it doesn't need to be anything major, but you know, if you're struggling, an employee should be able to go to their manager or someone at HR and be like, Hey, you know, I'm dealing with this. Are there people that you can point me to that can help me? Is there an employee assistance program? Um, is it, I just need a day off to just like, you know, either do some self care or just not, not think about work and, and really deal with some things that I'm, I'm facing in my personal life. It's, it's things like that that I think can make a huge difference amongst employees. So the, even the nomenclature is somewhat different self-care and, you know, mental health days, stuff like that is not something that our generation necessarily grew up with. And it's right. And I don't mean self-care. I mean, this is part of it, right? Like the, when I say it, I think immediately like face masks and, you know, just whatever, but that's not necessarily all it is. It's really taking time for yourself to rewind and center yourself in the way that, okay, I'm ready to take on another day of work and to be really productive and to tick off everything on my list. It's really, you know, putting yourself first and prioritizing, you know, I need to be, I need to be okay here and within myself before I give myself to any, anyone else, whether that's for work, whether that's family or friends outside of work, it doesn't matter. So that, that to, um, older folks, I'm trying to be gentle here, <laughs> more seasoned folks, I guess it's, um, it's almost like talking Greek. So there, right. I, I could see how in a workplace, this would be a conflict, um, not to get into any specific companies, but you know, whether it's baristas and, and their managers or, you know, widget companies, like there is a, you know, apples and oranges conversation going on where, um, you know, if you, if you grew up not as a Gen Z or maybe a millennial, definitely boomer, like this is foreign language. Right. But foreign concepts. But Peter, think about it. I mean, even, you know, I will say before our time, right, when in the 1950s or 1960s and you had people like Elvis Presley or Jerry Lee Lewis or other people like that, that parents thought, my God, these kids today, what are they listening to? Or the Beatles or Mm -hmm. the, you know, the hard rock uh, groups of the 1970s. You can pick, keep going through any decade then. I mean, look, my son listens to the worst kind of like gangster rap. I just, I can't listen to it at all. I mean, part of it is just listening, you know, doing stuff in part to piss off your parents, but the the generational disconnect that happens, you know, you can sit there, whether you're as a parent or a manager or whatever, you can say in my day, or I don't like this at all, or you can deal with the world as it is. You, you don't, deal with the world as you'd like it to be because that's fantasy and that's just going to frustrate you and frustrate the people you're trying to manage, whether it's your your kid or your employee or your neighbor or whoever it might be. But you just have to kind of accept 
that things are going to be different, that they have different expectations. Can you still get the job done? Can you still produce the widgets? Can you still staff the, the hospital? Can you still do whatever you need to do in order to get your job done? And what are those accommodations that you need to make to deal with the fact that this generation and then the one coming after it and the one coming after it are going to be different than your own life experience and values and expectations? Well, and I, I agree with that. And But what I think we're seeing across the workplaces of America is that generational conflict. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And, and we're seeing it at some of the big news stories that we're seeing in the labor press, the union organizing yep. activity, oh, yeah. et cetera. And that's where I think um, this conflict is, to your point, you need to adapt. Yeah. And part it of really it is, is. And, and I'll be quite honest, part of it is really just kind of understanding it, and which is still where I'm trying to get my head around it. And I know right. I'm not alone because there's a crap ton, sorry, sorry, Haley, but there is a lot of activity out there and conflict going on in workplaces across America. So absolutely. It's the, uh, yeah, it, it's just a, it's an interesting time that I think that post pandemic, I'll give you an example in healthcare where I spent a large part of the summer is, you know, and this has always been the case in healthcare, but it seems to be more exacerbated is the younger nurses coming into the system and the older nurses, more seasoned nurses trying to stay away from older, but the more seasoned nurses are like, oh, they don't, you know, they don't know how it was. They don't know how to oh, do yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And there's yeah. a phrase in healthcare where the, in nursing in particular, where they eat their young. Mm -hmm. So they just make their life hell until they oh, drive yeah. them out. Absolutely. And that and talk about a profession that cannot stand to have anybody leaving it. That's right. it. Right. <laughs> because right. There's, there's a huge uh, shortage there for sure. But yeah, I mean, again, but think back, though, Peter, we like to think about these things as being new phenomenon. When women started coming into the workplace all those years ago, they, she's supposed to be home with the kids. Your, your mom works. Your wife works. What are you talking about? Right. I mean, that was, yeah. you know, my mother was a working professional when I grew up. That was very unusual in the 60s and 70s. Very unusual to have somebody like that as a mother working in the workplace. But so society adjusts and, you know, people of color, uh, people with different gender identities, all of that. Absolutely. It's a point of conflict. But it's like, again, you know, part of what I try to tell my clients and other people I know, business owners, I'm like, you know, how do you meet where it is? You know, you can sit there and yes, privately over a beer, you can go, oh, these kids today, or I can't believe this or whatever. But then in terms of actually running your business, you just have to be practical, I think. Yeah, I've started um, advocating more for whether you call it an ambassador or a mentor. And Haley, you mentioned mentoring earlier. Mm -hmm. um, it's literally, a, you know, coming in the door fresh out of school, whether it's college or high school, having somebody mentor the younger folks coming in, the new employees coming in, just to the to acclimate them towards the the business itself. And yeah, you know, it's that two way kind of communication, if you will. But I think yeah, I think it needs um, to be the opposite, though. I think it's even more the opposite. I think having Gen Z, smart Gen Z folks like Haley mentoring older managers like me who need the managing and who need the education. I think it's I think that's part of it, right? It's like 
Oh, do we need, does somebody like Haley need to adapt herself to me or do I need to adapt myself to her? And some of it, it's, it's certainly two ways, but if I, as a manager or business owner, want to get the most out of Haley or some other Gen Z employee I have, I need to be helped to understand what, that's why we did the talk we did that, you know, led to this podcast and some of the other stuff that we're doing is helping managers understand Gen Z so that they can work with them more effectively, run their businesses, retain them, recruit them, get the most out of them. It's it's that kind of meeting of the minds, if you will, and flexibility that I think is is really the key. So I think in a in a company like yours, Nick, which is um, smaller, obviously. So sure. how do you again and I don't know that most companies have somebody as well spoken as Haley is. Right. So, so multiply that out by a larger company. How do you create a dynamic where the employer is getting lessons from someone like Haley or multiple Haley's out there? Well, I think part of it is just even just some of the just traditional good uh, union avoidance strategies. You have works councils and you would have worker councils and worker advisory boards, if you will, employee advisory boards that are made up of groups of Gen Z within a company that talk about what they want and need. And some of it's gonna fit into some of those stereotypical or characteristics that Haley was talking about at the beginning of the podcast. But it's like, you need to understand that this is what's important to us. These are what we'd like to see. I know you're having us do X, Y, Z on the second widget shift, but let me tell you why that doesn't really work for most of us. Being able to surface those kind of concerns, and yes, you'll have more articulate and more vocal and less articulate and less vocal people, but getting that kind of input and allowing the employer to address those things directly and show that they're being responsive not only helps the company get more out of the Gen Z employees, but helps avoid the Gen Z folks going, they're not listening to me. Let's go call the SEIU. Let's go call the Teamsters. Let's go call the Steelworkers or somebody else to speak for us. Right. Haley, what do you think? I think it, to your point, it, it comes down to the two-way communication. It's just, you know, asking questions. If you're in a one-on-one -on -one meeting with, with your manager or vice versa, it's, it's just asking, so how do you feel about that? Or, and, and I'm not talking the, the actual feelings. It's like, what is your opinion on this? Do you think this works? Do you have any other solutions that we can maybe implement to make this better? It's just keeping that open dialogue and that open feedback is really beneficial, not only for, for a manager's sake of, of understanding, but it's also, you know, it, it benefits Gen Z's greatly. I mean, it makes you feel like you are a part of something and that you're being heard and that um, your your opinion matters to, to somebody. So I think those are those are really good good things to do. What I kind of hear you saying is, um, and it probably is more cross-generational than we're talking about, but more focused with Gen Z is the opportunity for personal growth, the uh -huh. opportunity to have a voice in your workplace, um, and the opportunity to make a difference. So exactly. Exactly. I would think we have this in other generations as well. It's just more amplified or maybe more demanded. I don't know if that's mm. the right way to put that. Yeah. The, yeah. It's more spoken about. I think we're actually, we're actually voicing it. I think that that 
probably is, and I'm a little bit assuming, but I also think this could be the case as well, that that's what each individual wants to do. They want to have a purpose and they want to make a difference in whatever they do. But I think for Gen Zs, it's really about using their voice and not being afraid of backlash or anything like that to to get their point across and, and to make a difference where, where they feel like it, they can make a difference. I mean, Gen Zs were, were the face of the Black Lives Movement. It was the, you know, uh, pride parades and things like that, or, you know, LGBTQ plus rights. I mean, these are all very important social justice issues. And Gen Z has been unafraid to go out in public and, and demand things and, and really show their support for people that they care about. And those are a little bit more extreme examples in, in the sense of, you know, more in their personal life. But I think it also goes back, it can tie back to, to being at work and feeling that feeling of being unafraid to say, say what's on their mind. So it's still, it comes back to the balance because from an employer's perspective, they want to get their widgets out. And then, you know, many of them will be like, why does this, whatever the cause is have to be coming into the workplace? And so I'm, I'm just kind of like trying to summarize this for some lessons for managers out there. Would that be me or Haley on that one? I, both, I guess. It's Okay. It's yeah. The, I mean, the summary, I would say it's, you know, listen, don't uh, deal with the world as it is, not as the world as you'd like it to be. <laughs> Try to match the organization's needs with the individual or groups of employees wants and desires. I think that's a big part of it. It really is. It's like, you know, you you can sit there and, and have your own private feelings or chats about it with people like-minded folks if you're not happy about it. But more importantly, it's like if you want to be effective, if you want to be successful, you know, meet your folks where they are. Mm-hmm. Sage advice. And I know, Nick, you've, you've got to run, so we should probably wrap it with that. But Haley, thank you so much for coming on. And Thanks Nick, for having me. Great. Nick, as always, we'll have to resume our conversation about the Cowboys at another date. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. But thanks so much, Peter. There's a lot of fun, as always. And uh, thanks for giving us the opportunity. All right. Nick and Haley, Reputation Partners, thanks for coming on Labor Relations Radio. All right. Have Great. a good day. Talk Bye. to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. So that was Nick Calm and Haley Hartman from Reputation Partners exploring a little bit on how to manage a Gen Z workforce or let them manage you. In any case, that wraps up another episode of Labor Relations Radio. I'm your host, Peter List. And if you want to reach out, you can reach out on Twitter at Workplace Report. That's at Workplace RPT. Give us a call at 1-888-668-6466 or leave a comment under the audio portion of this episode of Labor Relations Radio. Thanks for listening. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see you on the other side.
You have been listening to Labor Relations Radio. Hey, Labor Relations Radio listeners, this is just a quick reminder. If you enjoyed Labor Relations Radio, make sure you share these episodes with your colleagues and make sure you and your colleagues visit laborunionnews.com and subscribe to our News Digest.